Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast for Book 5, Chapter 3. Why do you think Pierre was allowed to join the Masons before the usual term? And how do you predict this will eventuate? Will this be a lifelong commitment of Pierre's? I don't know why I said eventuate like that. I feel bad about it. I feel like that was wrong of me to enunciate. Does anyone else find it kind of annoying when people overly enunciate their words? Kind of like unsettling, not annoying. I wouldn't say annoying, actually. I should take that back. I apologize for saying annoying. Look, I'm just, I'm sorry for everything. Let me just straight up apologize in advance for everything, ever. Um, I want to be a Freemason. They're just like a weird, secretive, secretive little thing, you know, secret society. And there's something just like old school mysterious about it. It's like old school mysterious, you know. And um, every time I have kind of, you know, come across Freemasonry in life, not that I've ever really, but, you know, just through TV shows, books, people you meet, whatever. I've always been intrigued and like, I don't know, it just feels like a really cool version of just playing make-believe, even even as an adult. It's like playing make-believe on a grown-up scale, you know? Like, you know when you're a kid and everything that's cool about being a kid, when you're a grown-up, you can do it on a grown-up level. Like, when you're a kid, you're like, when I grow up, I'm just going to eat so much candy because you can just get it whenever you want. And in a way, that's true. You can. And um, now I'm a grown-up, and you know what? If I want to get a bag of Maltesers and then pour that bag of Maltesers into a cereal bowl instead of cereal and then just pour milk in that as if I've, as if it's cereal and then just eat Maltesers in milk for my breakfast, I can do that if I want. And that's the grown-up scale of, you know, how cool candy is when you're a kid. And, like, um, I don't know what else is cool when you're a kid. Like, you know, riding your bike is awesome when you're a kid. When you're grown up, you can get a, you can get whatever you want. You can get a jet ski if you want. Um, and make-believe is awesome when you're a kid. Pretending to be a wizard. Pretending to be, you know, in a, in a superpower gang or something like that. And I just feel like, you know, if you extrapolate that out to the ultimate grown-up version, then that's Freemasons. <laughs> I know zero about Freemasons, by the way. Um, but, you know, Pierre just had to walk into a room with a blindfold and keep that blindfold on for five minutes without touching it, then take it off. And then there was a skull with a candle in it, a human real skull. And then a bunch of people in robes came out and did a like a, a ritual I mean, come on. <laughs> it's so awesome. I want that. Uh, and it's also like anywhere you go in the world as a Freemason, you can just go to like their Freemasons of that city and they're just like, welcome, brother. And then you just got a place to be there. How cool. Um, my only problem is I'm not really religious and I don't think they'd want me. <laughs> I don't really know what I'd bring to the table. Anyway, blah, 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 057 says, Will this be a lifelong commitment for Pierre? 
I highly doubt it. Pierre is a little bit uh, whimsical, isn't he? He's a little bit here and there. There's a word I'm trying to think of. It's not coming to me. Anyway, Rifter66 says this. I think the Masons saw an opportunity in Pierre, and with his recent troubles, which were publicly known, they knew a troubled soul when they saw it, and it doesn't hurt that he is a titled and wealthy young man. I'd like to think they are recruiting him for the betterment of him and their organisation, but I'm jaded and worried they are really interested in fleecing him somehow. If the Masons are actually what they say they are, a charitable organisation seeking the betterment of mankind, I imagine Pierre sticking with it. However, I can also see him becoming disillusioned and quitting if the organisation doesn't stand up to his ideals. You know, I don't think fleecing is really in their playbook, even though they are definitely targeting him for his wealth, I think, definitely. But I think they're looking at him as a valid candidate for what they do. So they're thinking, you know, a lot of money in this guy, that'll help the... um, church or whatever they are is it a church for want of the precise term and but i think they genuinely would believe that they're helping him as well so i think fleecing isn't the word because fleecing is sort of knowingly ripping someone off i think i don't think they even think of it that way religions are like that aren't they like even if they are targeting someone for their wealth or taking huge donations from people privately, they would never feel guilty because for them it's it's so sanctioned to them to do that that they're actually helping that person. Um, and I think they genuinely believe that. I think that the, their cause, they believe the whole cause of their church or their organisation is worthy of whatever donation comes their way. Anyway, um, Prince Kane says, I just noticed the weirdest coincidence after looking through some of my old French class notes. Historically, Masons were people who worked with stone, and this is shown through symbolism in Freemasonry too. Apparently, the French word named Pierre literally means stone. A deliberate Easter egg by Tolstoy or just a coincidence? Hmm, interesting. Didn't know that. Didn't know... Well, Pierre is um, Peter, right? It's the same name. It's the French version. Okay. Anyway, I'm trying not to yawn into the microphone, so I think that means... Let's press on. I think that's what that means. What are we up to here? Chapter 4? Is that what I'm reading? Yes, it is. All right, here we go, chapter four. Soon after this, there came into the dark chamber to fetch Pierre, not the Ritter, but Pierre's sponsor, Wilaski, whom he recognized by his voice. To fresh questions as to the firmness of his resolution, Pierre replied, yes, yes, I agree. And with a beaming childlike smile, his fat chest uncovered, stepping unevenly and timidly in one slippered and one booted foot, he advanced while Wilaski held a sword to his bare chest. He was conducted from that room along passages that turned backwards and forwards and was at last brought to the doors of the lodge. Wolaski coughed. He was answered by the Masonic knock with mallets. The doors opened before them. A bass voice, Pierre was still blindfolded, questioned him as to who he was when and where he was born and so on. Then he was again led somewhere, still blindfolded, and as they went along, he was told allegories of the toils of his pilgrimage, 
of holy friendship, of the eternal architect of the universe, and of the courage with which he should endure toils and dangers. During these wanderings, Pierre noticed that he was spoken of now as the seeker, now as the sufferer, and now as the postulant, to the accompaniment of various knockings with mallets and swords. As he was being led up to some object, he noticed a hesitation and uncertainty among his conductors. He heard those around him disputing in whispers, and one of them insisting that he should be led along a certain carpet, after that they took his right hand, placed it on something, and told him to hold a pair of compasses to his left breast with the other hand, and to repeat after someone who read aloud an oath of fidelity to the laws of the order. The candles were then extinguished, and some spirit lighted, as Pierre knew by the smell, and he was told that he would now see the lesser light. The bandage was taken off his eyes, and by the faint light, of the burning spirit Pierre, as in a dream, saw several men standing before him, wearing aprons like the retters, and holding swords in their hands pointed at his breast. Among them stood a man whose white shirt was stained with blood. On seeing this, Pierre moved forward with his breast toward the swords, meaning them to pierce it, but the swords were drawn back from him, and he was once blindfolded again. Now thou hast seen the lesser light, uttered the voice, then the candles were relit, and he was told that he would see the full light. The bandage was again removed, and more than ten voices said together, Sic transit gloria mundi. Pierre gradually became, began to recover himself and looked about a room, at the room and at the people in it. Round a long table, covered with black, sat some twelve men in garments like those he had already seen. Some of them Pierre had met in Petersburg society, in the president's chair sat a young man who he did not know, with a peculiar cross hanging from his neck. On his right side sat the Italian Abe whom Pierre had met at Anna Pavlovna's two years before. There were also present a very distinguished dignitary and a Swiss who had formerly been tutor at the Karagans. All maintained a solemn silence, listened to the words of the president, who... who held a mallet in his hand. Led into the wall was a star-shaped light. At one side of the table was a small carpet with various figures worked upon it. At the other was something resembling an altar, on which lay a testament and a skull. Around it stood several large candlesticks like those used in churches. Two of the brothers led Pierre up to the altar, placed his feet at right angles and bade him lie down, saying that he must prostrate himself at the gates of the temple. He must first receive the trowel, whispered one of the brothers. Oh, hush, please, said another. Pierre, perplexed, looked around with his short-sighted eyes without obeying, and suddenly doubts arose in his mind. Where am I? What am I doing? Aren't they laughing at me? Shan't I be ashamed to remember this? But these doubts only lasted a moment. Pierre glanced at the serious faces of those around, remembered all he had already gone through, and realized that he could not stop halfway. He was aghast at his hesitation, and trying to arouse his former devotional feeling, prostrated himself before the gates of the temple, and really the feeling of devotion returned to him even more strongly than before. When he had lain there some time, he was told to get up, and a white leather apron, such as the others wore, was put on him. He was given a trowel and three pairs of gloves, and then the Grand Master addressed him, he told him that he should try to do nothing to stain the whiteness of that apron, which symbolised strength, 
and purity. Then the unexplained trout he had told him to toil with it to cleanse his own heart from vice, and indulgently to smooth it with the heart of his neighbour, as to the first pair of gloves a man's, he was said that Pierre could not know their meaning, but must keep them. The second pair of man's gloves he was to wear at the meetings, and finally of the third a pair of woman's gloves, he said, Dear brother, these women's gloves are intended for you too. Give them to the woman whom you shall honour most of all. This gift will be a pledge of your purity of heart to her whom you select to be your worthy help meet in masonry. And after a pause, he added, But beware, dear brother, that these gloves do not deck hands that are unclean. While the Grand Master said these last words, it seemed to Pierre that he had grown embarrassed. Pierre himself grew still more confused, blushed like a child, tears came to his eyes, began looking about him uneasily, and an awkward pause followed. This silence was broken by one of the brethren, who led Pierre up to the rug and began reading to him from a manuscript book an explanation of all the figures on it, the sun, the moon, a hammer, a plumb line, a trowel, a rough stone, and a squared stone, a pillar, three windows, and so on. Then a place was assigned to Pierre. He was shown the signs of the lodge, told the password, and at last he was permitted to sit down. The Grand Master began reading the statues. They were very long, and Pierre, from joy, agitation, and embarrassment, was not in a state to understand what was being read. He managed to follow only the last words of the statutes, and these remained in his mind. In our temples we recognize no other distinctions. Read, read the Grand Master, but, the, but those between virtue and vice. Beware of making any distinctions which may infringe equality. Fly to a brother's aid, whoever he may be. Exhort him who goeth astray. Raise him that falleth. Never bear malice or enmity towards thy brother. Be kindly and courteous. Kindle in all hearts the flame of virtue. Share thy happiness with thy neighbour, and may envy never dim the purity of that bliss. Forgive thy enemy. Do not avenge thyself except by doing him good. Thus fulfilling the highest law, thou shalt regain traces of the ancient dignity which thou hast lost. He finished and getting up, embraced and kissed Pierre, who with tears of joy in his eyes, looked round him, not knowing how to answer the congratulations and greetings from acquaintances that met him on all sides. He acknowledged that no acquaintances but saw in all these men only brothers, and burned with impatience to set to work with them. The Grand Master rapped with his mallet. All the masons sat down in their places, and one of them read an exhortation on the necessity of humility. The Grand Master proposed that the last duty should be performed, and the distinguished dignitary, who bore the title of Collector of Alms, Alms, went round to all the brothers. Pierre would have liked to subscribe all he had, but fearing that it might look like pride, subscribed the same as the others. The meeting was at an end, and on reaching home, Pierre felt as if he had returned from a long journey, on which he had spent dozens of years. He became completely changed, and had quite left behind his former habits and way of life. Alrighty, there we go. Pierre. New and improved. Apparently. Allegedly. Alright guys, have your say about this. Is Pierre really new and improved? Is it his new way of life? Are his former habits left behind? Let's discuss. Thanks for listening and I will see you tomorrow.